This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, Bruchem and welcome everyone. Thanks everybody for coming. We have a very special uh, subject tonight, Parsha Shlach. Um, the Shurman Sefer Bamidbar are sponsored by our good friend Rabbi Isaac Yasolovsky, Lilo Nishmas' father, Rabbi Shabsi, then Rabbi Yitzchak Isaac, Zacharna Levracha, and we wish um, Isaac, you should feel better. And also this year are sponsored by our good friends, Dr. Zakheim, Umishpachta, Lila Nishmas, Reb Shloim Eliezer, Ben Harav Yaakov, and Neshama Shavna Aliyah, Bilmeel Siosher for their whole family, Adbiyasko El Tzedek. Tonight's year is sponsored by Mr. and Mrs. Lior Steen, my good friends of Melbourne, Australia, formerly of Sydney, Australia. So this is Fushlema Chaya Lea Bas Yafa. And uh, regards to Lior, Umishbachtai, and also tonight is sponsored by our good friend Rebeli Sisma on the occasion of the birth of a baby girl, Sakara Satayv. We wish him Tiska, Legadla, Latayra, Lechupa, Lamasim Tayvim. The test on the sponsorships will uh, be distributed after the Shir. Parsha Shlach. Also, I want to thank my good friend Reb Sender, who reminded me that tonight is the yard site of Rabbi Huda Asad. The Mari Asad, and he was Nifter and Chaf Gimel Sivan, Tafresh Chaf Vav Lamed, that's 1896. He died Misas Nashika. I'll tell you one story about Mari Asad. People used to come to the Mari Asad to get a bracha to get out of being drafted by the army. This is in Europe, you draft in the army, you know, nobody ever sees you again. So he would give them to drink, he would have a, a, a glass full of tears from Tikkun Chatzois. He would give to drink from there, and then miraculously the person would get off from being drafted in the army. Okay, Bruchem welcome everyone. We're going to begin with a Pasuk in Tehillim. This Pasuk talks about an oath, a shvua, that God took. And the Pasuk is in Perak Kuvav. Perak Kuvav is describing all the events of the Midbar and uh, all the different happenings of Kal Yisrael in Mitzrayim, and in the desert, and God says, Hashem lifted up His hands, to cast them, Bamidbar in the desert, and to cast their descendants, among the nations of the world, and to scatter them in the lands. In other words, God swore that He would exile the Jewish people. Where did God ever swear such a thing? you see anywhere in this week's parasha that God raised His hand in an oath and He said, I swear to exile the Jewish people? In the aftermath of the Chet HaMaraglim, do you see any shvua, any oath of God that He swore that He's going to exile us? No, we don't find anywhere that God swore in parasha Shlach that He's going to exile the Jewish people. Welcome. And uh, in fact, all we find in this week's parasha is God said, I swear, the Jewish people are not going into the land of Israel and they're going to die in the desert. But there's not one word about going into exile. And here the Pasuk says, God swore that He's going to exile us. Furthermore, we have a similar account in the Navi Yechezkel. In Ezekiel, Parak Chaf, Pasuk Chaf Gimel. I also raised my hand to them in the desert to scatter them and to 
Send them forth throughout all the land. This Pasuk is saying the identical idea that we have in Tehillim, that God swore that He would exile the Jewish people. And you can look through the whole parsha; you will not find one oath that God took that we would ever be exiled. Furthermore, you can look in the entire Chumash, there is not one oath that God took that He would exile the Jewish people. So what is the Navi saying in Tehillim? What is the Navi saying in Yechezkel? Ukeshanila atzmi. This is how I would answer the question. I would answer the question with the following principle. But we're not going to be uh, using this method uh, today, but you should be aware of it. In the Navi Yechezkel, it talks about when God communicated with the first prophet in history. Anybody know who was the first prophet in history? Good, Aaron HaKain. Excellent. Aaron HaKain. Aaron HaKain was the first prophet. And where did, when did God speak to Aaron? In Egypt. And what did God tell Aaron? Tell the Jewish people to throw away their idols. Do you remember in Sefer Shemois God speaking to Aaron? No. Do you remember anywhere in Shemois where God telling a prophet, tell the Jewish people to throw away their idols? No. So what's the Navi Cheskel saying that God spoke to Aaron? The answer is, the Nevi'im sometimes report things that are not reported in the Chumash. Not everything that happened is recorded in the Chumash. It could be... In, uh, in the times of the Chumash, there were two guys, they were playing catch with a big red ball. And it's not recorded in the Chumash. Just because it's not in the Chumash doesn't mean it didn't happen. So too, not every important piece of information is found in the Chumash. Sometimes information is found in the Nevi'im. So I would have said, what does the Pasuk mean in Tehillim that God swore to exile us? What does the Pasuk mean in Yechezkel? These prophets, namely David and Yechezkel, they knew Baruch HaKodesh, that God swore that He would exile the Jewish people, but it's not recorded in the Chumash. That's what I would have said. But this is the question of the Nitziv. Rav Naftali Tzvi, Yehuda, Berlin, in his commentary, the Hamak Davar, he quotes the Nevuah of David HaMelech, he quotes the Nevuah of Yechezkel, and he says, it is not clear over here. What oath did God take that He's going to exile the Jewish people? What exactly is this Shavuah? We're in Tanakh, we're in Parsha Shlach, do we have any indication that God swore He's going to exile the Jewish people? Now, if you look in Rashi in Tehillim, Rashi says, you know when God swore that He's going to exile us? In this week's Parsha, it says the Jewish people, what was the reaction when the Meraglim came back? It says, Vayivku ha'am balaylahu, and the people... <laughs> <laughs> cried and on that night. Don't show other people my house. The, um, people cried on that night. And uh, Chazal say, what's going on over here? Chazal say that uh, Hashem said, you're crying for nothing. I will give you good reason to cry. And Hashem uh, promised and swore that He would bring about the Chorben Beis HaMikdash because of their reaction. But the Nitziv says, that's very nice. God swore, let's say, that He would destroy the Beis HaMikdash, but that does not necessarily entail Golos. Just because Hashem said that He's going to destroy the Beis HaMikdash doesn't mean that He's going to exile the Jewish people. And even the fact that Hashem said He's going to destroy the Beis HaMikdash, it's not clear in the Psukim that Hashem said anything about the Beis HaMikdash. And therefore, so to speak, the Nitziv says, we're up the creek without a paddle. What does David HaMelech mean? What does Yechezkel Hanavi mean? That Hashem swore that He would exile the Jewish people throughout the world. And the answer of the Nitziv is, um, is so ennobling, is so majestic. 
I once heard this from Rav David Cohen of uh, Congregation Gavoli Ivitz, Coney Island Avenue. I once heard him speak this out. And that is, there is a Pasuk in this week's parasha. In the aftermath of the Miraglim, there is an oath that God took. And that is, look at number four, Ve'ulam and but, Chai'oni. Chai'oni means, I swear. The glory of God will fill the whole world. So Rashi learns that Hashem is swearing as follows. The same way that my glory fills the whole world, I swear that the Jewish people will not enter the Holy Land. That's how the next Pasuk continues, if the Jewish people will enter the Holy Land. In other words, you read the Pesukim, God says, I swear, the same way there's a reality that my glory fills the whole world, likewise I swear the Jewish people will never enter the land of Israel. However, says the Netziv, it's so beautiful, this is the Pasuk where God takes an oath that the Jewish people would be exiled to the whole world. Where? God says, V'ulam! Chayani, I swear! Let the glory of God fill the whole world. What does that mean, let the glory of God fill the whole world? God has this thing called glory. He has pages of glory and He distributes it to the whole world. What does God mean, let the glory of God fill the whole world? Who are the ambassadors to the world of the glory of God? Who represents God to the whole world? We are the ambassadors of God. So the Pesach says, God swears, I swear my glory will fill the whole world, a.k.a. that means you guys will no longer be in Eretz Yisrael, you're going to be spread out throughout the whole world. This way my glory fills the whole world. Now that is such a magnificent way to understand and appreciate Golos. We usually understand Golos, God is dejecting us, God is rejecting us, He's casting us away, He's, He's not interested in us. It's a sign of His disdain for us. No! This Pasuk is saying just the opposite. Golos is not God rejecting us. Golos is God sending us on a mission to be the ambassadors of His glory to the whole world. In other words, the reason we're in the five towns, or we're in wherever we are, Brooklyn, or where are you? You're in Muncie, you're in uh, Los Angeles, Baltimore, and of course, San Diego, is because... It's not that God rejects you, so He sends you to the West Coast. No, you are the ambassador of the Lord to bring Hashem's honor to the entire world. It's a mission, it's a privilege, it's not a punishment. So you'll say, so wait a second. The Jews sinned, so they were rewarded to be able to live in the far corners of the world. You know, I always thought Gullus was a punishment. And here we're learning, no, Gullus is a fulfillment of showing the glory of God to the whole world. By the way, I could not find this. Maybe somebody could help me. I'm pretty sure I saw this once in the Rambam, in one of the writings of the Rambam. That, uh, what, what is the purpose of the religions of the world? You know, m- most world religions are Avodah Zara. You know, um... India, what, there are a billion people there? More? They're, if they have a desire. China, they're atheists. But most of the world are Christianity, Islam. Now, Islam is not a desire. Christianity probably is, but in a way it is a monotheistic religion. The purpose of these religions is, I believe the Rambam says, that any country the Jewish people have been exiled to the society of that country became civilized by adopting some tenets of Judaism, some tenets of the Jewish religion. 
any country Jews were never lived in, were never exiled to, till this day, they're still barbarians. That's, I believe, what the Rambam writes. Because it's our job, this is the promise of Golos, where the Rambam writes, Ve'ulam chayoni ve'imalech v'ayda Hashem es Golos is not Hashem rejecting us, He's not dejecting us. Golos is Hashem's way of sending us on a mission to bring His glory to the whole world. So the question is, uh, it's, I thought Golos was a punishment. So the Natsiv says something really uh, very interesting. And this uh, gives us a little bit of a background and understanding of the entirety of Sefer Bamidbar. Does anybody know? What is another name for Sefer Bamidbar? What is Sefer Bamidbar called? Chumash? Hapakudim. Very good, Rabbi Shlomo. Chumash, the book of counting. Now, if I were to ask you, what is the highlight of Bamidbar in your mind? The counting of the Jewish people? Is that really the most interesting part of Bamidbar? You know, I would have called it Sefer Bilam, Sefer Paraduma, I don't know. I could think of uh, more interesting episodes in Sefer Bamidbar than Chumash HaPakudim. Why do we name the whole book Counting? Now, how many countings are there in Bamidbar? There are two. There's one in Bamidbar and one in Pinchas. Why name the whole book Counting? Another interesting thing that we love to talk about is Bamidbar really consists of how many Sepharim? Three? One of those answers, right? Yeah, three, but three. You have Bamidbar before Vahib and Saya, Vahib and Saya, Bamidbar after Vahib and Saya. I was discussing with David before the Gemara says that the nuns, the upside down nuns, indicate that these two psukim don't belong here. That's one opinion in the Gemara. But the other opinion in the Gemara is no, they do belong there. The upside down nuns indicate these two psukim are a book unto themselves. So there are really three books in Bamidbar. Bamidbar before Vahib and Saya, Bamidbar after Vahib and Saya, and Vahib and Saya. So, isn't that strange? You have three books, one of the books is only two psukim. So the Nitziv understands Bamidbar is the transition of the Jewish people from one mode of God's conduct to another mode of God's conduct. Until Sefer Bamidbar, this is how we operated. God was with us. And everything that occurred to us was supernatural. You need food, okay, it comes down from the heaven. You need water, you go out, the, the well of Miriam was right there. You need meat, it rained down. And now, you think it's easy when God lives in your house? It's wonderful, because if you uh, conduct yourself properly, the magnitude of bracha is immense. However, here's the problem. If God is living in your midst and you take one misstep, you're dead meat. And that's what happened. The Jewish people until now, they were, on the, they were living with that Rebansham, the Shechina was present with them, and it was wonderful, it was a great source of bracha. The only thing is, they couldn't take it anymore, because when God is living in your house, and you're living in the palace of the king, any slight infraction is a, a big no-no, the repercussions are very severe. And the Jewish people were not comfortable existing with God living in their house. And therefore, they could have gone into Eretz Yisrael in a supernatural way. God said, I'm going to give you the land of Israel. And uh, they could have gone in supernaturally. They would have followed the Ananiah Kavit. They would have marched right into the land of Israel, knocked off all 31 kings. And they would have built the base of Mikdash and they would have called it a day. 
However, the Jewish people were very uncomfortable with the supernatural existence because supernatural existence means the next time you say one improper word, the next time you don't follow God's command to the T, you're dead meat. So the Klai Yisrael were like hoping and trying to be weaned off from God's direct presence. So they asked Hashem, you know Hashem, we really prefer, instead of going into Israel straight, let's send Meraglim. What were they getting at? What they were getting at is, God, we can't, we can't live with you this way. We can't have such a miraculous existence that if we take one misstep, you're going to punish us. We'd like to live a more natural type of existence. And we're going to go into Israel like regular human beings. We're going to send in spies. That means you're going to be a little bit of a distance from us. But we're much more comfortable that way. This way, if we mess up, we're not going to be punished so severely. So basically, Sefer Bamidbar is the transition of Klal Yisrael from a supernatural existence to a natural existence. That is reflected in the two countings of the Jewish people, one in the beginning of Bamidbar and one in Pinchas. Uh, one in Bamidbar and one in Pinchas. In Bamidbar, if you look at the counting of Bamidbar, by the way, this all comes from number 23, the Natsivs Hakdama, to Sefer Bamidbar, in the beginning of Bamidbar, when the Jews are counted, they're counted based on their formation of banners and the golem. And in that parsha, Ephraim, who was a bigger tzaddik, came before Menashe. But at the end of Pinchas, in the 40th year, then the Jews were counted in a more natural way. They were counted in order, in order of birth. So in other words, there, we see a very clear differentiation in the conduct of Hashem's Hanhoga with Klal Yisrael, from the beginning of Bamidbar to the end of Bamidbar, it's most evident in the disparity between the two countings. So Bamidbar is called the Book of Counting because it's the two countings that is the strongest evidence to the two different types of conducts that Hashem has with the Jewish people. Where is exactly the point of transition? When the Jewish people take a misstep and maybe they run away from Harsinai, they couldn't take the intimate connection with Hashem, that's, the, that's maybe where it turns on its head. That's where things turn upside down. And there's a transition from supernatural existence to natural existence. That is the Natsiv's understanding of Sefer Bamidbar and the sending of the Miraglim. And that is why Hashem basically told the Merag, Moshe Rabbeinu, Shlach Lecha! You want to send? You don't want to be close to me? You want to have a more natural existence? Then you're right. In accordance with what you wish, then you're going to need to send Meraglim. I, I would, would rather you have a supernatural existence. But according to your wishes that you want a natural existence, then you taka should send Meraglim. That's the Nitziv's approach to Parsha Shlach and to Sefer Bamid. Now, had we maintained the supernatural existence... We would have gone into Israel. And basically if we needed food, it would have come down from heaven. And if we needed to conquer a city, we would miraculously conquer. And we would do the Avodah in the temple, and there would be open miracles in the temple. And all the news teams would come, not just Fox, even CNN would be Moida MS, that there's Yesh Alekim Yisrael, and the Yibam Shom runs the world, and the Avoid of Klal Yisrael 
is what effectuates bracha in this world. And God's glory would have filled the world from the supernatural existence of Klal Yisrael and Eretz Yisrael. But we rejected that type of existence. We couldn't handle it because, like we saw, the Jewish people took a couple of missteps, and every time the Jewish people take a misstep, Kisisa, people take a misstep, 3,000 people die. In this week's parasha, they, they took a misstep, all of the generation dies. Kaiso couldn't take that. They needed wiggle room. They needed to be marked on a curve. So Hashem said, okay, then you're going to go into Israel, and it's going to be a natural existence, and if you need food, you're going to have to plant your farms and harvest your farms. And I'm going to deal with you naturally. And the reporters are going to come. And they're going to see a country like any other country. And my glory won't fill the world. So now there's no alternative. There's no other way to fill the world other than sending you into Golas. In other words, yes, Golas is to fulfill a mission. To be able to uh, disseminate... Hashem's glory to the whole world, but had it not been for the Cheda Meraglim, we would have kept the original supernatural existence, and then God's glory would have filled the world from the Holy Land. They would have stayed in Eretz Yisrael, and they would have filled God's glory to the whole world on Zoom. You know, they would have stayed in their Dalet Amos. That's the highest Madrega. Highest Madrega, you stay in your place, and people need to find out about the Riban Shalom. From where you are, you telecast it abroad. But, when you're not on the Madrego, you have to go to those places. And that's what happened to Klai Yisrael because of the Chet Hamaraglam. And in fact, that's what we see in history. That any country Jewish people have been exiled to, the level of civilization, the level of society, is on a much greater, sophisticated, civilized level than countries the Jewish people never were exiled to. Who else says this? Says the Nitziv, I found this in the Medrash. If you look at number 7 in the Psikta Zutrasi, in the Medrash Lekach Toiv, <coughs> in the Medrash Lekach Toiv, on the Pasuk, Ulam Chai Ani, but God says, I swear, the glory of God will fill the whole world. Who is the glory of God? Yisrael is called the glory of God. Like it says, We were created to bring glory to God. So, My glory will fill the whole world. That means Israel will fill the whole world. And says the Medrash, Mikan, from here is a proof, that a decree was issued on the Jewish people that we would be exiled among the nations of the world. Ah, says the Medrash, this is what David HaMelech means when he says that God swore he would exile the Jewish people. Where did God swear he would exile the Jewish people? This Pasuk. The Pasuk, The Imreyames also says the same idea that this Pasuk is the most explicit reference to God's oath that He would exile the Jewish people. So I was thinking in the beginning of the week, that means Parsha Shlach and the episode of the Meraglim is the oath that God took that we would be scattered throughout the world. So putting it in that context, I tried to think about everything that takes place in Shlach after this event in some way has to be addressing the fate of the Jewish people that we would have to go into Galas. So listen, I think we come across a number of amazing things. Every day in Shachris, in the Brach of Ahav Araba, of Yisai Ahav 
we say, V'havienu l'shalom, or maher v'havi aleinu b'rach v'shalom, me'arba kanfais ha'aras. V'havienu l'shalom, me'arba kanfais. Now what do we do with the tzitzis when we say me'arba kanfais ha'aras? We gather the tzitzis, right? The Kavachayim quotes from the Sharkavans of Arizal, that when you say the words, Me'arba Kanfei Sa'aretz, you gather your tzitzis. In fact, the Kavachayim says, you know, if your talus falls down, which it inevitably does, you know, it comes off your shoulders, so then when you get up to the words, Maher Vahavi Aleinu Bracha Veshalom, straighten out the talus on your shoulders so that you have two tzitzis in the front and two tzitzis in the back. Then when you say, you gather your four tzitzes together. When you say, gather your arba kanfais. Yeah, but here it says, when you get to maher v'havi, also you should fix the tas. Why? Because if they're drooped down, then I think then all four are just together, and you're not, you don't need to gather them. When you, when you straighten it out, then you have two in the front, you have two in the back, and then you can gather them. So I always wondered... I always wondered as follows. What, we're trying to be cutesy before Shema? Ah, oh, isn't it cute? We say the words, Arba Kanfais, so we take the Arba Kanfais. Well, what is this? this? It's a game? Because we said the words, Arba Kanfais, so you're supposed to take tzitzis that happen to be called Arba Kanfais? And let's say in Avarabah, you said the word popcorn. Then what? You, you take out a ba- bag of popcorn, it just happens to be, it's coincidental. We say Arba Kanfais, so we, we conveniently gather the Arba What do tzitzis have to do with the words Arba Kanfais? It's amazing Rabbeinu B'chayi. Rabbeinu B'chayi is found in this week's parsha, And that is, Rabbeinu B'chayi wonders, why is it that tzitzis, the bottom are eight strings that are dispersed, and the top are twined, knotted, as one. So, Rabbeinu B'chayi says that the scattered eight strings on the bottom of the tzitzis refers to the state of the, the scattered state of Israel among the nations of the world, namely Edom and Yishmael. And when we're scattered and we're in Regalus, we're on the bottom, we're in a very lowly state. So the scattered tzitzis represents the scattered state of the Jewish people. But the top part of the tzitzis that's wound and together represents that ultimately the day will come when we will be gathered in, consolidated, and we will be on top. So that we learn an amazing thing. Tzitzis represents the state of Kal Yisrael. Now we're on the bottom. Now we're scattered. Ultimately we will be consolidated, gathered in, and on top. I believe according to Rabbeinu B'chayeh, we have a great insight into why we gather the tzitzis at the interval of Maher v'havi aleinu b'rach v'shom me'arba kanfos aretz. The tzitzis represent the state of Kal Yisrael. The bottom of the tzitzis represent the dispersed state of Kal Yisrael. The top of the tzitzis represents the ultimate ingathering of Kal Yisrael. So when we say, Rebun Yisrael, gather us in for the Dalek kanfos aretz, what better act of representation of the gathering of the Jewish people could we have in gathering the tzitzis the tzitzis themselves represent the dispersal and the ultimate consolidation of the Jewish people so I would like to suggest why does the Rebbe give us the mitzvah of tzitzis in the aftermath of the Ched HaMaraglam it's according to the Nitziv and according to the Imre Yames, because of the Ched HaMaraglam God is saying He swore you're going to go into Golos 
So you might be biting your nails and you're sweating. Oy vey, we're going to go into Golis. What's going to be with the Jewish people? Will we, ever, will, will we ever be gathered in? Will we ever be brought back to Eretz Yisrael? What's our insurance policy that Hashem will gather us in? So Hashem says, don't sweat it. I'm giving you the mitzvah of tzitzis. The mitzvah of tzitzis represents even though now you're on the bottom and you're dispersed throughout the whole world, ultimately you're going to be on top and you're going to be consolidated and gathered together. So, so to speak, the mitzvah of tzitzis is the insurance policy that the Jewish people have in the aftermath of the oath that God took to disperse us, that we have this confidence, one day God will bring us back. That's why the mitzvah of tzitzis was not ever given to the Jewish people before the Chet HaMaraglam. Maybe before the Chet HaMaraglam, we didn't need the mitzvah of tzitzis because we weren't going to be dispersed among the nations. But now that we're... In other words, tefillin we needed. All the other mitzvahs we needed. We didn't need tzitzis. One of the functions of tzitzis is to give us confidence. Hashem will, will uh, consolidate us and gather us in. In the aftermath of the Chet HaMaraglam, Hashem uh, gives us confidence with the mitzvah of tzitzis. But then... Rabbeinu B'chayi says another amazing thing. Says Rabbeinu B'chayi that the Jewish people are compared to the top third of the tzitzis, where the, the prophets say that two-thirds of mankind will be wiped out and one-third will remain. That refers to Klal Yisrael. And there's another amazing Gemara. Take a look at number 24. The Gemara in Shabbos says, Kal Hazohir B'tzitzis. Anyone who is careful in the midst of tzitzis. You ever, you know, have one of these overwhelming days where you say to yourself, now my wife says, you know, she wishes she could clone herself because there's no one else who could do what she needs to do except for her, you know. It's very nice people want to help, but she's the only one who... So you ever have those days you wish you could have, uh, you could send somebody that way, send someone there, you know, you need... The Gemara says, anyone who's here in the midst of tzitzis will have 2,800 attendants. One guy could do your dry cleaning. One guy could take your car to the car wash. One guy could take... Uh, 200 of them could do carpool for you. You know? You have 2,800 servants. I would say bad. The majority would probably be needed for carpool. But 20, what's the chesed of 2,800? So says the Gemara, if you look in the Navi Zechariah, Koy Omar Hashem Tzavakos, Bayom Ahema, Asher Yachziku Asara Anoshem. Ten people will grab from all the uh, languages of the garment. They will grab onto the corner of your garment. So now let's make a cheshben. How many nations are there? Seventy. It says ten members of all seventy nations will grab onto your corner. That means you'll have seven hundred on the right side, seven hundred front left, seven hundred back. So seven hundred times four is twenty-eight hundred. Anyone who's careful in the midst of tzitzis will have 2,800 cleaning men taking care of them, attendants, butlers, one guy to shine your shoes, one guy, one guy to do your dry cleaning, one guy to water the lawn, one guy to barbecue for you, one guy to be the butler. You have 2,800 different people. One guy to drive you to the shear, one guy to drive you home, one guy to explain to you what the shear is about. What? Only 10 the road mentioned. What about the rest? What the 2,800? I said most of them are carpool. Most of them carpool. Where are we going to put them? Where are you going to put them? Good point. You have that picture over there. <laughs> Very nice. Is he still there? Okay. So, 
so it's like this. So it comes out in the end of days. What mitzvah is going to be most intriguing to the nations of the world that they're going to say, what's this religion all about? Who's your God? What, what, does, what, what do you believe? What does your Torah say? Which mitzvah is given to, so to speak, convey the truths of the Torah to the nations of the world? It's the mitzvah of tzitzis. It doesn't say in the end of days, 500 goyim are going to pull on one ritzua, and 500 goyim are going to pull on another ritzua. It doesn't say in the end of days, echveis, that um, 200 goyim are going to come to hear Megillah Esther. It doesn't say any other mitzvah is going to elicit the curiosity of the nations of the world. It's dafka, the mitzvah of tzitzis. So we could say beautifully, now that Hashem took an oath, He's going to have to... Uh, scatter us throughout the whole world. For what objective? For what purpose? Why? Hashem swore you're going to have to be scattered to disseminate the honor and the glory of the Torah to the whole world. So Hashem says, and how are you going to do it? How are you going to fill the world with my glory? Hashem gives us the mitzvah of tzitzis. In other words, again, another reason, before the Chet Hamaraglim, we don't have the mitzvah of tzitzis, because we don't need to teach the nations of the world about the glory of Hashem. We are in Eretz Yisrael, and they will hear about the miracles occurring in Eretz Yisrael, and they'll figure out on their own the glory of Hashem. But in the aftermath of the Chet Hamaraglim, when they're not going to find out about any miracles, we're going to have to teach them about the Torah, so Hashem has to give us the tool, the instrument, with which we're able to teach the nations of the world about the Torah. So there are two very important elements of the mitzvah of tzitzis in the aftermath of the Chet Hamaraglim. Number one, the mitzvah of tzitzis is the chizuk, that even though right now we're on the bottom and we're scattered, other um, the day will come that Hashem will redeem us. That's represented by the top of the tzitzis being together. And the mitzvah of tzitzis is a way of filling the whole world with the glory of Hashem. But, I believe that there's another important um, inyan that is given to Klal Yisrael immediately after the Chayyid HaMaraglam, and that is in direct response to the uh, state of being in Galas. You ever hear of this mitzvah? There's a very important mitzvah. The name of the mitzvah is to daven with a minion. It's a very important mitzvah. I would say it's a mitzvah that most Jews don't know about. What do you mean? Who, who doesn't know about the mitzvah of davening with a minion? You know, you come to shul and you pray. No, you could daven in shul your whole life and never ever daven with a minion. How's that? Come to shul and you lag behind. And when the chazan starts, Shemona Esrei, you're still up to According to the Mishnah Bura, it is only considered davening with a minion if you start Shemona Esrei with the Tzliach Tzibor, basically immediately. There are other Gedarim, maybe Rabbi Moshe has more of a time frame and other places have more of a time frame, but certainly L'Charchila, you have to start right away. And... Um, there's an important mitzvah of davening with a minion. So it's not just to be in the walls of a sanctuary at the time of prayer. It means to start the main part of davening, which is Shemona Esri, with the tzibah. Now, where do we learn out davening with a minion from? From the Pasuk right after the Chet Hamaraglam. Where God says, look at number 15, How long are these, these Risham going to do the Samira? And they're called what? An Eidah. An Eida. That's where we learn out you need ten, ten yeah. four Shavah Brachas. 
For Davar Shabakdusha, we learn out from La'ida here or from the Ache Yosef. According to Shas Bavli, we learn it out from here. Now, Ada is 10. How do I know Ada is 10? Because how many Miraglim were there? 12 Miraglim. Yeshua and Kalev were not the bad guys, so there were 10. Now, it says Ada by Koirach. By Koirach, it says the word Toich. And it says by Dover Shabakdusha, Venikdashti, Besoich, Beneisar. The source of davening with a minion is learnt out in the Pasuk right after the Ched HaMaraglim. You think it's a coincidence? No. It's a direct response to the Ched HaMaraglim. Because according to what we learned tonight, when Hashem said, I swear my glory has to fill the world, what that means is Hashem is swearing He would send us into the Galas. Says the Gemara Brachas and Avches, look at number 17, anyone who's Isaac in Torah and in Chesed, and Davin's with a minion. Hashem says, I considered it like you redeemed me and you redeemed Klal Yisrael from the nations of the world. Very interesting. The Gemara says, if you Davin with a minion, Hashem says it's tantamount to redeeming the Jewish people from the Galas. The Gemara continues, if someone has a shul in his city and he doesn't enter, he's called a bad neighbor. Furthermore, the Gemara says, if someone has a shul in a city and he doesn't come, he causes him and his children to go into Galas. So it's very interesting. If you daven in a shul, it's like you redeem the Jewish people. If you don't daven in the shul, you cause you and your children to go into Galas. So the Maral is bothered. What's the connection between davening in a shul and the redemption of the Jewish people and not davening in a shul and the exile of the Jewish people? Says Maral, even though, of course, God Almighty is never in Golos, but He goes into Golos with us. He's together with us. The Shechina is together with us in Golos. Now, the Jewish people in Golos were under the dominance of the nations of the world. <clears throat> but if all of a sudden, at let's say 8, 8 o'clock, this Yid from across peninsula who's living among few Gentiles, and that Yid who lives on uh, Oakland Avenue, and this Jew who lives on West Broadway, they start gathering from among the Gentiles, and they consolidate in a Beis HaKnesses. That is an illustration of Kibbutz Goliath. That's like a reenactment, a pre-enactment of the redemption of the Jewish people from among the nations of the world. So anyone who davens with a minion, it's like causing the Jewish people to emerge and be extricated from a state of pizor to a state of being gathered. It's like kibbutz goliath. And therefore Hashem says, anyone who davens with a minion, it's like they cause the Jewish people to be redeemed and gathered in from the exile. On the other hand, if somebody doesn't want to daven with a minion, then it's like they refuse the, um, to allow the Jewish people to be gathered in from the exile, and he causes uh, exile to him and his children. So in other words, what mitzvah do we have? What mitzvah do we have which most directly is linked to the ingathering of the exiles, which mitzvah do we have which is most comparable and parallel to the ingathering of the exiles? The mitzvah of davening with the minion. 
Do you think it's a coincidence that in the Pasuk right after the Ched HaMaraglim, Hashem gives Klal Yisrael the mitzvah of Dabar Shebekdusha Ba'asara, of davening with Minyan? Of course not. Now that God swore that He would have to exile us among the nations, Hashem says, don't worry, I'm giving you the mitzvah how to get out of the exile. You know how you get out of the um, Pizor of Klal Yisrael? You know how you're going to extricate yourself? From the mitzvah of Davar Shabakdusha Ba'asara is the way that you come out of the Pizur and you enter the state of consolidation of the Jewish people. So, really, we're given two mitzvahs in the aftermath of the Ched HaMaraglim. We're given the mitzvah of Minyan, which causes Hashem and Kaisa to be redeemed from the exile, and the midst of tzitzis, which represents that ultimately we will be consolidated and we'll be on top. Ad Masai Lo'eda, Lo'eda we learn out that the definition of, uh, an Eda is ten, and it says by Koirach the word Eda, and it says by Koirach Toich, and it says by Davar Shabakdusha V'nikdashti B'Soich B'nei Yisrael, and the Gemara Megillan, Chav Gimel Amad Beis, also the Gemara Brachas, learns out Minyan from the Meraglim. Rav Moshe even has a Chiddush in Halacha. Let's say you have nine people, and into the shul walks a mass murderer. Could you be of him to a Minyan? Let's say into the shul walks a Koifer Be'ikr. Could you be of him to a Minyan? Avada. Why? Because we learn out minion from the Meraglim. And the Meraglim said, Loinala. They said, Kiviachal HaKadosh Baruch Hu can't bring us up. So they were Kaifer Baker. So if the Meraglim were a minion and they were a Kaifer, we learn out from Yosef Mush, you could be Mitztari for Kaifer to a minion. Why not all of them? <laughs> not sure. You, you, you need somebody to daven, no? <laughs> In other words, you need six people davening. So you, but you want to have ten koifim and they decide to daven for the day? Could be that works, I'm not sure. I'm not That's another Pshan Rabbein B'chai. That Rabbein B'chai brings that Pshat. The Bavli learns that we learn it from the Meraglim. Okay? The Bavli learns... The no, they weren't Oved Abed No, they were Kaifar, but they, no, they, they were Kula Manoshim. They were, they were big Tzadikim. Now, one last thing. <coughs> one last thing. The, as a result of the Ched HaMeraglim, Hashem said the following words. V'ulam chai oni v'imolek v'ad Hashem is kal'aretz. Hashem swore... Klal Yisrael would go into Golos and teach, fill up the whole world with the covet of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. How does Klal Yisrael fill the world with the covet of Hashem? I mean, uh, we're, we're, are, we, are we holding classes for the nations of the world? You put up a sign in, in your front, on the front of your house, all Gentiles are cordially invited every evening at 9.30 for a shir in Shar HaYichud of the Chavis HaVavos followed by the Rambam and the seven Noachai laws, you give that share. No, Reb Sender, your house is open to what? You could do it. Have do, but I want to know if you do it. Right? Do, do, do. So how exactly are we supposed to fulfill the mitzvah of the Ulam Chai Oni V'Malik Fait Hashem Setting an example. 
Okay, right, so what exactly do we need to do? What is it about the Jewish people? What, what mitzvah particularly is the fulfillment of Ve'ulam chayani v'imalik so the very interesting Pasuk in Mishlei. <clears throat> if you look at number 20, we'll end with this. Chachmois b'achutz taroina. The wisdom of the Torah sings out in the outskirts. Baruchoivois titein kaila. In the streets, she gives her voice. Somehow it's saying the Torah will proclaim her truth on the outskirts throughout the whole world. Baruch hoimiois. In the street corners, tikra she will call out. So the Psukim are saying, the Torah will proclaim the knowledge of Hashem throughout the world. Says Rashi, what's this talking about? Rashi says, Bate Midrashis. The base Madrash. In other words, a base Madrash, or a shul, talks. What does the shul say? The shul says, there is a Rebbeinah Shalom in the world. So let's bring in the uh, famous Ramban, the end of Parshas Boy, that I'm sure um, you're all familiar with, but in this context I think it comes out very beautiful. The Ramban tells us, famously, that I'm going to teach you a general principle for all the mitzvahs in the Torah. And that is, the, uh, the Egyptians, some of them denied God's existence entirely, some of them said there's a God, but He has no ability, or He has no knowledge of what's going on in the world, or He has no hashgacha pratis, He has no control. So Hashem wanted to um, disprove these notions of the, of the Egyptians. So He brought great miracles in Mitzrayim. The great miracles of Mitzrayim demonstrated there is a Creator who could override the system of nature. He knows what's going on in the world. He controls the world. And He has special Hashgacha Pratis that He can make certain things happen for the, for the, for the Mitzrayim and other things happen for Klal Yisrael. Now, this shows there's a God. This shows God has knowledge. This shows God has control over the whole world. And furthermore, when the Rebbe Shem communicates to a Navi that these miracles will take place, and then the Navi predicts them and they happen, this authenticates the institution that is called Nevuah, and then the whole Torah is authenticated. So the events of Yitzhiya Mitzrayim basically authenticated all the great principles of the Torah. So the, we would say then, okay... So in every generation, God should make these kind of miracles, show the world He's there, show the world He knows, show the world He controls, and He should tell somebody about it so that everybody believes in all of these great principles. Why didn't God make these miracles for the Babylonians and the Persians and the Russians and the Chinese? And the Ramban says, because God doesn't have to prove Himself in every generation. But He wants to make sure that the Jewish people always remember these great principles. So He said, listen here, guys... When you wear a four-cornered garment, you're going to tie strings to it to remember all those great things I did in Egypt so you never forget those principles. And I don't want you walking out one doorway without putting a sign on the door to remind you of what I did. And I don't want a day in your life to go by without you taking leather straps and tying it onto your heart and tying it onto your mind so that you never ever forget these great principles. And I don't want a week to go by where you don't stop everything you're doing and take one day off to remember what I did in Egypt. And even in the course of the year, I want you to leave your house and sit in a booth, in a tent, just to remember the things I did to prove I'm the Creator and I know and I control and prophecy is true. And I don't... So basically, not a day of... 
and we make Kiddush and almost all the mitzvahs in the Torah are to authenticate the events of Yitzhak Mitzrayim and that's why those mitzvahs that remember the events of Yitzhak Mitzrayim have very severe punishment. If someone eats chametz on Pesach, there's a chi of kares because that most reminds us of what Hashem did in Mitzrayim. And if somebody doesn't bring a carbon Pesach, there's a chi of kares because these are the main principles of the Torah. Then the Ramban says further. The Ramban says, the kavana of every single mitzvah in the Torah is just to believe in Hashem and to thank Him. That's the main principle of a mitzvah. And then the Ramban goes further. The main purpose of creation is so that people recognize that there's a God and they thank Him. So the Ramban says, whoa, if the main purpose of creation is that the world recognize that there's a God and they thank Him, then there must be uh, some type of activity that we do that calls out to the whole world, Hey everyone, there's a God in this world and He gives us everything we have and we thank Him. Ramban says that, that's why we try to daven loud. We, we daven loud because we're all together proclaiming to the world that there's a Rebbe which is the purpose of all the mitzvahs and the tachlis of creation. And then the Ramban says one last thing. Then there must be a place in this world where anyone who sees it looks at it and says, oh, there's a God in this world. He's the creator. And it reminds mankind of the purpose of creation, says Ramban, Kavanas Bate Knaisiyais, the purpose of a shul, Uzuchust Filas Harabim, and the merit of davening with a minion is that people should have a place to gather together and to thank Hashem for creating them, which is the purpose of all creation, just to say the following two words to Hashem, Briyoisecha Anachnu, we are your creations. In other words, which building in this world is the ultimate purpose of all of creation and fulfills the tachlis of the Bria? A makayim where Jews gather to daven with a minion. If there's anything in this world that is mole kavoidai, as kalharetz, when God said, Ve'ulam chayani, I swear my glory will fill the whole world, what was Rebbe Hashem talking about? That there should be a place everywhere that Jews could gather together and daven b'tzibur and proclaim there's Rebbe in the world. So is there any coincidence then that in the immediate aftermath of the Ched HaMaraglim, the Rebbe teaches Kal Yisrael the mitzvah of tefillah b'tzibur, because Hashem says now that there's an oath, and now that your fate will be, you're going to have to go into the Golos. And the purpose of going into the Golos is the ulam chayoni v'imali chavoidi eskala aretz. By the way, the way you're going to fulfill it is, I'm giving you the mitzvah of tzitzis and the nations of the world are going to be so intrigued with your tzitzis. You're going to have 700 on one corner, 700 on another corner. And the tzitzis are going to give you confidence that even though right now you're on the bottom and you're scattered, the day will come you're on top and you're, you will be gathered in. And I'm giving you the mitzvah of davening with a minion because that's the way out of the galas. Because when you daven with a minion, it's like you redeem the Jewish people from the galas. And the way you're going to fulfill your tafkid of bringing the glory of Hashem throughout the world is through the mitzvah of tefillah b'tzibor that will proclaim to the whole world that there is a God and there's a creator and we are His creations. 
So these are the mitzvahs of, uh, given in the aftermath of the Chen HaMaraglim and the oath to disperse us. And we hope Bezuchusa and the Yibam Shem should bring us back to Eretz Yisrael. Amen. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.